This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Today's episode was recorded live in Guadalajara, Mexico. Our Vice President of Global Business Development, Alicia Adler, and I were down there for the Annaberries Congress. Annaberries is Mexico's trade association representing the entire berry patch there in Mexico. And this was their annual meeting, which in a normal year welcomes over 2,000 people to their event. I had a chance to speak at the event last year virtually, but was invited back to speak in person about the work underway by USHBC to drive demand, the importance of unity and collaboration as an industry, and what's ahead for the blueberry industry. It was a very well organized event and informative week. I certainly learned a lot. It was a great chance also to meet with industry leaders from around the world. Another speaker at the event was Colin Fain, the founder and CEO of Agronometrics. I've been meeting to get him on the podcast to talk about the market dynamics and the importance of data to grow the blueberry category. I got my chance to sit down with him in Mexico. Agronometrics is a platform that provides market performance analysis for the fresh produce industry. They help clients make informed data-driven decisions and and identify marketing opportunities by leveraging data and analytics. Colin, Alicia, and I had a great chat about how data is helping to grow the blueberry industry and what remarks he had for the event there in Mexico and where he sees the blueberry category going from here. Enjoy today's conversation recorded in Mexico with Colin Fain. Cool. Thank you very much for having me on this illuminating podcasts and kind of a centerpiece of information for the industry. Yeah, it really has been a, a great resource. And I, I know you've been able to absorb a few of the episodes, at least a, a subscriber, I take it. Quite, quite so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe you could share with us why you got started in kind of the data business and where your passion comes from and your company's work. Yeah, I think... Uh... And not, not so much starting on a, on a global scale. I think for me, the passion for data really starts at a very personal level. My first job was actually as a purchaser for the U.S. government. And the U.S. government buys a lot of stuff and sometimes really random stuff. And you, you don't always know what it is that you're dealing with. So um, you try to research as much as you can and understand the markets and and make the best acquisition that that you can based on the information that you're given which is admittedly quite limited given the wide range of things that a massive bureaucracy like a government requires and when i came into the the fresh produce industry i started off in chile they were shipping fruit to the U.S. and they were trying to gauge as best they could how to sell their fruit, whether they were going to load it on a boat and sell it in the market once they arrived in the U.S. or whether they're going to sell it ahead of time. And there's about four weeks of difference between them. And that's what they could hedge kind of 
or try to gain as much profit from, from the transaction as they could. And they had to do this based on information, based on data or based on gut. And that is where I saw an opportunity to help people make that decision as informed as possible. Even if you just look at the historic trends and you can see, you know, generally speaking, towards the end of the season, the prices drop. You can kind of make an educated guess based on how much volume you think might be getting to market as to where things are headed. And that is really an indicator of how to best make that decision. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's much better than either looking at what happened yesterday and assuming that that's just going to keep on happening or just going on your gut and throwing your finger up to the wind and saying, yeah, you know, I just hope it kind of all works out. And kind of looking at, at the buyer side and the seller side takes me back to that time when I was working in the government and where I felt helpless when I didn't have information. And I kind of want to help people not feel helpless when they're trying to make these difficult decisions. And uh, that's kind of where the company started and kind of what we're trying to help bring to the market. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the time you've been in business helping other companies. Obviously, we have a working relationship that was kind of born out of the pandemic, actually, if I recall the work we did initially just to help provide our blueberry industry with some insights as to how the market was shifting as things closed down and shut down, specifically concerns around food service and just where the volume flows were going to go. Uh, you had worked with us on the NABC side to provide some analysis. But as you've built this organization, this company, who, who have been your other clients that you've been working with over the years? I work with a lot of private companies. And usually when we do work with a private company, those are private projects that are for their own benefit. But on the public side, I think we're, we're best known for the work that we've done with, with the Mango Board. There's actually a new product that is in the process of being released where they've consolidated a lot of the shipment data from all the associations that feed uh, mangoes into the U.S. and actually publish the forecast of what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. If we compare that to the volumes that arrived on the market last year, that gives the mango board and the mango industry an opportunity to start a conversation about maybe promoting mangoes if we're expecting a glut of volume and compared to last year that might otherwise be difficult to move through the supply chain. Or if the volumes are short, then maybe the prices need to be higher to kind of level out consumer expectations and not leave shelves empty. So I think this is a really great tool that the Mangoes board is making available, and um, we're, we're very happy to, to work with them in the development of, uh, of these insights for their industry. The other really big project that we're working on publicly is the State of the Industry Report for the International Blueberry Organization. This is a massive undertaking where we try to digest data from every single producing region in the world as well as all the historic import and export trends from every single producing region in the world and the receiving side as well, into a cohesive report that the industry can gain insights from. To throw a couple names out there, because he's really had a lot of contact with the industry, uh, Matt Ogg, our journalist, has done an amazing job capturing the story behind this, as well as Claudio Riquelme and Violeta Rodriguez, 
There are a team in-house who uh, has been developing the technology to consolidate all this information and make it available through the IBO report. And I know uh, you're probably working closely with Court Brazelton, who had been a part of that history. Court is the editor of this publication, and we would not be able to do this without him. The insights that he brings to the industry are, are truly unique at a global scale in particular. He can help guide the efforts that, that our team's putting together to really bring together a product that is meaningful and of substance to the industry and really has that value-added potential that otherwise would be very difficult to get. I mean, really, he has a lot of insights and, and we're very appreciative for the opportunity to work with him on, on this project. Another really great utility of the IBO report this year is um, it's going to be made freely available for everybody. The IBO team has uh, found sponsors for this report, so we're going to be able to get these insights and this knowledge to the entire Blueberry community for the first time in the IBO's history. And even in this report's history, which has its history, it's a lot of history, but it has its uh, inception before the IBO, I believe, through the NABC. Yeah. Well, and we have had the opportunity to work with your team, obviously working with Matt and plugging in with providing what resources we could, which I think is part of that history from what I understand with uh, both NABC and the IBO and, and the interplay between court and and where we're at today. But just pointing out the relationship that you have with Mango and Manuel, who we actually had a, a session with and one of our virtual meetings that we'll put in the show notes that where he's actually talking about the inception of this report and this, this data set and these uh, data insights that Mangoes is working on. So it's encouraging to hear now, uh, this many months later, uh, where he and his team have found themselves in working with you and the benefit that uh, obviously I think Manuel was expecting to be able to provide his stakeholders with information and data. And I would say, you know, it just seems to be a continued theme among programs like ours to want to provide this service, this resource back to our stakeholders in an aggregate way that gives our producers and other parts of the supply chain better transparency and data insights to make better decisions. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, your sense of that for the blueberry industry, where that data gap exists, you know, where you see similar opportunity ahead for the blueberry industry. I think the place to start off with, with building any kind of data system is looking at the value that you want to drive with said data system. If we look across the industry, we look at different organizations and different institutions that have made data available. And I think especially drawing off my experience with the Mango Board, as an industry starts to grow, uncertainty becomes a more and more expensive thing to deal with. Supply shocks, overstocking, not having enough inventory to, to move through the system becomes harder and harder to manage and really a cost at the end of the day to the entire industry. So where you're able to consolidate the information from all the different players involved and reduce that level of uncertainty, that is a value added that, I mean, is a key role for an institution like the um, USHBC and is a huge benefit to everybody in the industry. 
if you have an expectation of what's going to happen, and that is a decent expectation, and it doesn't need to be a super technical forecast. It could be just a good idea of what's coming out of the ground in each one sure. of the producing regions, which is something that the crop report gets pretty close to, to covering. That can really help out the supply chain down the line. And in, like we mentioned before with the, with the mango board, if you have a huge volume that's going to come online, you know, that gives the opportunity for the importers and the labels to talk to the retailers and create the promotions to move that volume, clear it out so that the industry is able to function in an efficient way. Otherwise, the consequence is you have no program set in place. You have a huge amount of volume. And then it just starts getting cleared at liquidated prices because nobody took the time of actually making a system for this fruit to move. Well, it's interesting you bring up the crop report because uh, this would be, a, before we dive into a couple areas that I think would be interesting <laughs> to hear from you on related to global data insights. But let's take that quick break for our crop report. As the summer months wane, many of our domestic growers and our growers in BC are winding down their harvest season. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Rex Schultz in Michigan, Doug Kramer in Oregon, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Jason Smith in British Columbia. This was recorded on August 11th, 2021. Okay, this is Rex Schultz from Michigan with our weekly crop report. We're going to be into the second pick of blue crop in our northern counties and we're uh, picking late varieties in the southern counties right here in Michigan. Most of the uh, cleanup on the blue crop is being done with uh, mechanical harvesters. Process markets are strong right now. Uh, Volumes are doing real well. Most growers have finished for the fresh market with the blue crop as I said and um, pretty much everyone moving into Elliott's now. Lead berries are coming on with Aurora. We expect that the fresh uh, September volumes to be a little bit lower than normal. And uh, I think that in our projections, we were looking at around 75 million pounds. I think we're gonna come in a little bit less than that. Even though our Elliots are gonna be strong and late varieties are gonna be strong, we were a little weak in the um, early season and mid season. So I'm projecting that we're gonna probably be around 70 million pounds with uh, 40 million fresh and 30 million processed. That's pretty much it in Michigan right now. I'm Doug Kramer, reporting for Oregon here in the Northwest. We're just getting ready to experience another heat wave. We're hoping that this heat wave is not as significant as the heat wave we had the end of June. Certainly, we have a lot less fruit uh, being exposed because we're about three quarters of the way through our harvest here in Oregon. Most of the mid-seasons are done. They're certainly done as far as fresh pick. Moving into the later seasons of Elliott, Aurora, Last Call, and then Later in the month, we'll get into some rabbit eye varieties over time and O'Clockany in particular. So we still got some good fruit to go. The mid-seasons are being cleaned up with machines and sent to the processors. Our labor supplies continue to be tight as we get into these late-season varieties. They're harder and more time-consuming to hand-pick 
the picker prices uh, paid are higher, but even at that, the workers cannot make as much money as they can on the early to mid-season varieties, so they tend to start moving to other crops, doing other things. So overall, things are going well. Thank you. That's all I got for today. Well, this is uh, Brian Sakuma from the state of Washington. Uh, we're picking the probably the last pick of Draper, getting into Calypso. And I think at least in western Washington, we'll probably be getting into the, some, some of the Elliott pick by the end of this week uh, on western or eastern Washington. It's been pretty warm weather, just starting their last call, volume starting to drop. Uh, they're into pretty hot temperatures. Temperatures are over 100 degrees. And then getting back to western Washington, the temperature has been pretty stable. But here at the end of the week, we're supposed to be getting into warmer temperatures, maybe uh, mid 80s or low 90s is what it's forecast. And then after that, they're actually forecasting some rain. So and that's all I have for today's report. Hi, I'm Jason Smith from British Columbia. Today, yeah, we had some some wet weather uh, last, I guess it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, it was much needed, uh, definitely cut, cut down on the dust. Hopefully we're not going to get too hot in the next few days. It's expected to be warm for quite hot for about three days. Uh, and then it's going to cool down a bit. A lot of the early season stuff is, is done. Third pick blue crop happening uh, for process uh, in the next couple of days. Some Liberty, I expect, will start to get harvested by the end of the week. And, and I'm sure some of the older uh, Calypso as well. Quality looks good. Uh, as you mentioned, disease and pest pressure is low. Season seems to be going fairly, fairly well at this point. Although we're definitely over the the big part of of harvest for sure, with all the early stuff being wrapped up. So that's my report for today. Thanks so much to our colleagues from North and South America who provide these reports. We're still in the midst of the U.S. domestic season, but as that wraps up in the coming weeks, we'll start to hear once again from many of our producing regions in South America. It's great to have been able to have a year-round look at blueberry harvest, and we appreciate all who take time to share these insights throughout the season. Okay, we're back here with Colin. Uh, Colin, you know, as we sat yesterday through your remarks here at Annaberries, you gave it some perspective on what's happening here in Mexico. So I thought maybe you could give us just kind of your highlights from the blueberries perspective. You you touched on all berries, but blueberries, blacks, raz, and straws. But for our audience, you know, thinking through what's happening here in Mexico with production, maybe you could just talk specifically top line of, of what that data was saying to the audience yesterday. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I think um, the story of, of Mexican blueberries has been a, a really interesting development, I, not only in Mexico, obviously with consequences for, for the U.S. market. And the big highlights are how basically over the last nine, 10 years, but really the last five years, Mexico has made an, an impressive mark on the U.S. market. They've been able to fill up the spring shoulder to be able to help offer year-round availability of fruit. This has actually, as we did in, in a different study also for the IBO in the 2019 report, this has brought a good amount of money into the category. This has allowed consumers that were used to 
purchasing in the summer or maybe as well in the winter months with Chili's production to continue that purchase trend. And what's, I think another interesting fact is that Mexico has been able to do that with pretty good quality of fruit. So that's really complementing the rest of the production that's getting to the U.S., giving the customers a good experience in, in consuming their fruit. So um, it's been a privilege to be able to present some of these insights and some of the story to Mexican producers. But I think one thing that stood out to me in your, your graph yesterday, which maybe we share this one slide, but remarkable to see how over maybe the last two decades, how flat production on blueberries has been in Mexico. And really, like you said, it's only been the last five years where that production has taken off. Obviously, a growing demand in the U.S. where that kind of supply is still in demand. But do you have any insights on you know where that, that steep curve comes from relative to what you heard here in Mexico? I mean, I think it's mostly what I've heard. This isn't information that you can take from the data itself, but this is the context that helps give story and give meaning to this data. I mean, a lot of it has been the investment, the massive investment that's been done into creating varieties that are able to thrive in Mexico. That is a big, big part of the story. When you're down here in Mexico, also speaking to the producers, uh, you look at the different producing regions that have opened up. Sinaloa has been a boon for Mexican production. So you combine different producing regions. Mexico is, is an amazing country for production. They have seven different producing regions with seven different climates that are able to target different parts of the, of the year strategically. And um, the producers here have been taking advantage of that as, as best they can. I think when you look five years ago, uh, one of the big drivers for the growth was high prices in the U.S., in, especially around April, which was a shoulder between Chile and, and the U.S. And those prices have come down. I mean, as the volume comes and fills up this shoulder, it's bound to have a supply and demand type of effect. As the industry matures, it's likely that at some point the growth will slow down. But as of yet in these charts, we haven't seen that happening. Well, let's talk a little bit, if we can, just kind of foreshadowing what work you've been doing in preparing for the IBO report. You know, obviously, we have a report that we do on the NABC side that is the North American annual stat book or stat book that we've been doing. But what you've, you've indicated and, you know, clearly taken a much larger bite of the apple, so to speak, of trying to grapple with the entire world's data is there anything you can share with us that surprised you about the report so far or anything about the other parts of the production regions in the world that you think people will be particularly interested in seeing in this new report? This new report's uh, incredibly exciting to me. I helped work on the, on the 2019 report as well. Agronometrics and, and our team didn't have as pivotal a role in, in that report as we do in this one. What we've been able to do with this latest version is look to professionalize the, the creation of this report. And this has been really thanks to, to the IBO board and the team behind that. They gave us a five-year commitment to work on this, which is allowing us to make the investment in really bringing a powerful tool to the industry. 
And I think that's going to come to life within this report in, in a couple ways. We're going to have much better coverage, but we're also able to bring in data tools to make calculations that were otherwise pretty difficult to make before. One of them is we're looking at how many hectares are, are planted, which is a traditional metric of this report, but also looking at the delay in production for each one of the origins. And that gives us an idea of how many hectares are in the pipeline to come into production. And this is a key component to understanding you know, which areas of the world are growing and which ones are not. It's also forming a key component of the projections that the report is making available. Again, giving an idea what's going to happen in the industry, where the volumes are coming from, and how much are they expected to grow. This is going to give an opportunity for people in the industry to make much better informed decisions as to where does their production play in the much more global scale and um, kind of what is in the pipeline per se from each one of these origins. Yeah. And I think for us, for you, and, and just kind of thinking about some of the work that took place here at the Annaberries Congress is a conversation we had in Michigan not long ago about being able to coach the competition. I think the work of pulling a report as large as yours together is explaining why you know, having that kind of cultural industry conversation of why collecting this data is important because, you know, there's an entire industry out there that's dependent on making good business decisions and, you know, obviously maintaining the high value that blueberries have enjoyed best we can without devolving into some of the other commodities that we won't name that have found themselves in the ditch when there isn't uh, good tools and resources for uh, maintaining value and price and, and just awareness of what's happening in the world in this uh, particular commodity. So certainly commend your efforts. You know, it's something we know we'll be looking at as a tool for our decision-making at the USHBC. But any other things from the report that you think would be something worth noting people to be looking forward to? One of the really interesting, um, it's another calculation that we've been able to do since uh, bringing this entire system for creating this report into a structured data product is a more accurate calculation of, a, of yields for each and every producing region around the world. And this gives you a bit of a better idea of how professional each one of these regions are, how developed they are. And it gives us an objective indicator, at least, of, of this metric that didn't exist before we did use this in the 2019 report and this was also part of the ibo report that was made available for the americas which was also associated with the 201 investigation but um looking at this on a global scale it gives you a much better idea of where blueberries in each country are at and i think that's a really powerful indicator that we're bringing to to the industry with this report i think also, all the work that's been done for collecting the import and export data. It's a lot. You're drinking from the fire hydrant. But uh, the team's done an amazing job at consolidating this information and trying to make it visually digestible, if that's a term. It is. <laughs> for, for visual learners like me, it absolutely is. This report will be made available publicly as a PDF, uh, which is going to be going out to, to the world also as a digital report at the same time. So you're able to kind of click on charts, turn things on, and interact with it in a way that 
hasn't been so so available in previous versions. That will be for, for IBO members. So there is definitely an incentive to become an IBO member, and, and we very much encourage everybody to do so. Well, this has been a great opportunity to just kind of sit down and pick your brain. I know that you do spend time amongst a number of commodities, but you know, kind of as we wind up our time here, you've been in the trenches of Blueberry Data for a while now. What do you see yet ahead from your perspective that gives you encouragement about the information, the data that you're seeing for the Blueberry industry? For our audience who's listening, you know, what would you share with them that they should be aware of as we go from here? I think there's huge potential for blueberries. And this is kind of taking a look at, at other commodities. So you look at the development of, of these different commodities and, and they're not that different one from the other. I mean, everybody kind of has its unique quirks and characteristics. But um, from my experience, there's been three factors that have so far really driven growth and demand. And growth in demand means growth in production. I, I do believe it should be more of a pull than a push type situation. So how do you grow demand? How do you pull the blueberries out of the ground? And um, one of the ways is by completing year-round production, which is kind of where blueberries is today. And there's been this mad rush to kind of fill in all the gaps. And that has been an incredible successful program. And you can ask any retailer like, Blueberry sales have gone up because of this effort and the industry is stronger and more capable because of it. The next kind of paradigm that commodities go through is improving quality. When you do bring in and fill in these gaps, that makes the industry more competitive. That means people's pencils need to be a bit sharper and they have to start treating this industry as a business. And this has happened in grapes as well as, as blueberries. It's nothing new. As this happened, varietal changes are going to come in. Quality is going to be more of a focus. And where an experience for a consumer before might have been more of a lottery, uh, where they go and eat one blueberry and it's great, and the next one is not that great, that takes away from sales. Where you see the quality improve and stabilize over time, like with grapes, uh, you see a constant and more sustained growth of that commodity. And I think that's definitely one of the routes that blueberries are going. And also you can take a page out of avocados. I know that you've, Casey, you've mentioned avocados several times. Uh, they kind of got the three things going for them. Uh, they got year-round production. They have quality standards that are very good for the fruit hitting the market. And then the third component is they've been promoting those things like crazy. They've been letting people know that this product exists, that this product is healthy, that it's complementing their lifestyle, that it's complementing their healthy food choices, which is a lot of the same words that are coming out of the blueberry organizations and that are starting to move the needle in getting blueberries into more homes, which is still something that can be vastly improved upon. So... From where I'm standing and looking at other commodities and looking at the data and also kind of knowing at least not everybody in the industry, but I know a fair few uh, people in this industry, there is still hunger for this growth. And I think there is a good organization and structure to improve upon these factors and drive the consumption of blueberries that's going to increase demand and is going to pull more fruit out of the ground. 
so I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic for blueberries. I'm very honored to be a part of the industry and play my role putting the charts together and making our analysis. I'm also very thankful to have been invited onto this, this podcast. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you. Appreciate this time here uh, with you in Guadalajara, uh, of in all person. places, in, in person. <laughs> uh, so it's been a great conversation. And again, great job yesterday giving the industry you know, further data insights in your presentation here at the Annaberries Congress. Uh, it was helpful, I think, for everybody to see that information Hard for me to follow you in your Spanish. Again, Alicia probably uh, took away more from it than I got. But uh, again, great job yesterday. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much. Well, I always enjoy talking to an industry leader like Colin. And I think there are so many key takeaways from this episode. Obviously, he's he's got a bit of a, uh, an objective on looking at it globally. But how data can be a tool for brokering good communication. And I think that's what we've been talking about here in Mexico this week uh, with the leadership here at Annaberries, certainly the work that the IBO is clearly doing in trying to connect there in China with explaining why this is important. And we talk about coaching the competition, but that's really what this is because I think when we open this office in China, we have a long-term plan to be there and to be there you know, we're going to need to be aware of what's on the ground there as well as we continue to move our fruit, which they appreciate. I just, I, I find that part of always talking to Colin about his global perspective to be fascinating and certainly the encouragement. I'd say the last thing I'd say as a key takeaway is his, he's seeing what we've been saying uh, in the data that there's a lot more left for blueberries. In some ways, we've gone through kind of the awareness phase that we talk about. I think he mentioned that as well. And we're really moving into this next phase, which is going to take sharpening those pencils. And so he's not wrong and we appreciate his perspective and kind of identifying that even further with our conversation today. Great discussion. So that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on Business Blueberries. Oh, 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 oh,